Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast, The Dermal Difference, a space where we talk all things skin. We are here to bring you conversations by dermal therapists and their contributions across the ever-expanding and evolving scope of health and aesthetics. Whether you are here as a skin enthusiast, a fellow student, professional, or just someone looking for answers in their search to improve their own skin, this podcast offers expert insights as we deep dive into the vast range of hot topics and concerns. So welcome guys, I am Demi and along with Maddie, we will be your host today. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't already seen our topic, today we are focusing on problematic post-surgical healing and in identifying some of the barriers to optimal post-surgical wound healing and how we can address them. So I'm super excited about today's topic because it's going to be really informative in discussion around wound healing and patients at risk of complications is something we focus on most days in the clinic when we're working with clients to maximize healthy skin outcomes and minimize risks. As part of our panel today, we have Fabian and Jamila who are here to also share with us their expertise on the topic and of whom are also graduating as dermal therapists at the end of this year. Thanks, Demi. Hi, everyone. I'm Maddie. And for our first episode, and for those of you who may not know a lot about dermal therapists and what they do, today we will give you a great insight into how broad our scope is, not only within the aesthetics industry, but also our ability to make an impact in health settings too. So on that note, before we start, I thought I may get Jamila to maybe give us a little bit of insight into what a dermal therapist is, what they do, what they study, and then maybe the most surprising thing about the profession that they have found so far. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Maddie. So basically, dermal clinicians are university qualified who operate and specialize in non-surgical modalities and skin health management, educating patients on the importance of skin health and as well as helping them improve and manage their skin health concerns. So dermal therapists uh, study a wide range of units such as dermal science, skin and wound biology, lymphatic anatomy and physiology, nutrition for dermal therapy, laser principles and safety, legal legal and ethical dermal practice, studies in science such as laser physics and chemistry, infection control and OHNS. The best thing about being a dermal clinician is being a guide for patients suffering from skin conditions or disorders and using our knowledge to provide a safe, effective and science-based treatments which have shown clinical efficiency through evidence-based practice. Dermal clinicians also work alongside allied medical practitioners such as plastic surgeons or dermatologists and also alongside allied health. Thank you so much, Jamila. Now to our topic today, Demi. Would you like to start by giving us a bit of an overview in regards to the key considerations around risk factors for surgical patients and your insight into them? Absolutely. So when identifying risk factors for patients, there can be a multitude of contributing factors that increase a person's risk of impaired wound healing. And I like to split them up into two key groups. So your intrinsic factors, such as those that occur naturally from within, such as aging or inherited health conditions, 
and your extrinsic factors that focus more on the external influences that might take effect on our health, such as environmental, cultural, or lifestyle factors. And in turn, these can have knock-on effects that impede on our body's natural wound healing um, processes, and they primarily include hemostasis, inflammation, proliferation, and tissue remodeling or resolution of a wound. So the positive thing about extrinsic factors is that they are often able to be managed, manipulated, or removed for a patient if they are causing harm. And smoking is a really great example of this. So despite dramatic decrease in the in recent decades of tobacco use nationwide, smoking remains the leading risk factor of disease burden within Australia. And public health strategies such as the tobacco ban, advertising and promotion um, and the ban of promotion have successfully facilitated a decline of smokers. However, in statistics for people aged within the 59 to 69 year bracket, um, there were minimal changes found. So this really demonstrates a current relevance as a key consideration when providing pre and post operative care for patients, especially as this age group is predominantly um, the people most likely to undergo surgeries. So smoking has been found to have profound health effects, more commonly associated um, with lung cancer and heart or vascular diseases. However, people often fail to realise the more subtle effects that over time can cause real problems, um, like the increased risk when undergoing surgery. So in regards to wound healing, smoking can have key effects, including acute vasoconstrictive effect of, um, and this potentiated to cause post-operative necrosis in tissues, and that's due to the reduced blood supply. Um, It's also seen to cause a reduction in the inflammatory cascade that is vital in helping our body protect itself and in turn can lead to um, surgical site infection. And thirdly, the inhibition of the proliferative healing response and collagen production that may cause poor wound closure and incisional hernias. So our roles and knowledge as dermal clinicians, it allows us to understand these cutaneous effects of different lifestyle choices of clients and use this to predict possible complications that may arise and in turn support and enhance the healing process through a range of strategies and modalities that I believe we we may touch on a little bit further down um, with some of our other speakers. We also play a really important role in client education and identifying the need for an interprofessional referral for intervention such as smoking secession. So smoking um, perioperatively or smoking perioperative secession has been found to reduce the risk for post-surgical complications in wound healing. And in a meta-analysis undergone by Mills and others in 2011, of six randomised trials, um, there was a 19% risk reduction of post-operative complications for each week that secession was prolonged in the perioperative period, um, with the ideal perioperative period of secession being a minimum of four weeks. So in this case, in Um, early education in this instance is integral for a client and knowing where to refer someone for further assistance that's outside of our scope, such as nicotine replacement therapy. So another great example of extrinsic Uh, influences on our wound healing mentioned before um, is nutrition. So Maddie, did you want to maybe do a deep dive into how nutrition can be of such importance in this instance? Absolutely. Let's investigate the nutritional side in relation to wounds and the healing process. 
Understanding what malnutrition means is the first step to breaking this all down. The definition of malnutrition is defined by the British Association of Parental and Internal Nutrition as being in a state where there is an imbalance either in excess or deficient of energy, protein and other vital nutrients. Therefore, opposing the effects and outcomes for bodily and tissue functions and clinical outcomes. The, the normal process and phases of wound healing that Demi mentioned before, however, when a individual suffering from malnutrition enters the picture, it is found that the healing cycle will generally stop at the inflammatory phase and not proceed any further due to the fact that the issue of malnutrition prolongs this phase and creates a reduction in the proliferation of the fibroblasts, minimising collagen formation and reduction of strength and angiogenesis. It is therefore clear that these complications increase the complexity and complications associated with wound healing and malnutrition. Regardless of the patient's age and other contributing factors, being in optimal health is a necessity and nutrition is a main factor in ensuring your body is in prime condition. It has been found that singular nutrient interventions are likely to be less effective than a multinutrient and or supplement intervention. This form of intervention has been measured as an essential support in combining nutritional development with the wound healing phases and ensuring that there is an increase in optimal cell health and function. When there is a reduction within the subcutaneous adipose tissue, this begins to show that the tissue is undernourished and compromising the tissue's overall integrity and ability to cope with pressure, friction and shear. Following um, there is a cascade effect that then creates an immune response to be undernourished and underactive, therefore also a multidisciplinary approach to alter and address this situation on hand is required to greatly impact the outcome. Essential nutrients that have a role in making a difference in assisting to turn the tables and improve an individual's nutritional level include macronutrients, micronutrients, vitamins A, C and D, minerals, zinc, glutamine, omega-3 fatty acids, magnesium and probiotics. Using these mentioned in combination with one another is a multinutritional plan assists in gaining the best benefits associated with wound healing in the undernourished. Therefore, in order to strengthen and support our system when it is undernourished and in a state it is vital to ensure that a multi-combination approach is taken to rebuild our underlying nutrition and health foundations. Thank you so much for that, Maddie. This really shows the scope of dermal clinicians' knowledge and how this would be specifically addressed by a nutritionist that we have referred to to enhance their wound healing capacity. So looking forward, when we are looking at all these risk factors that can be found to influence a person's risk of post-surgical complications and wound healing abilities, it naturally begs the question, what can a dermal clinician do to assist. And Fabian, we might draw on you to help discuss some common intervention strategies that can be applied. Yeah, sure. So before I talk about interventions, I just wanted to touch on how aging is a high risk factor for slow wound healing and complications when it comes to surgery or 
treatments. So in the clinic, as a dermal clinician, we do get a high number of aging clients that come in for treatments. And we also deal with aging clients who have surgery operations. So we really, it's so important that we understand how we can take care of these clients pre and post treatment. So factors that impact healing include frailty, cognitive decline, immobility, cellular function functions declining. And this happens due to a hormonal change in the body. And nutritional deficiencies, muscle and bone loss are also really common as well as vascular health decline with the elderly patients. So the elderly are prone to pressure sores, ulcers, venous and diabetic ulcers, slow wound healing in general. And this is something that we really need to take into account when treating aging patients. Wounds can remain in the inflammatory state for a much longer period of time. And what happens is the abnormal proliferation and remodeling occurs. And this creates a decline in, inflammatory, in the inflammatory state for longer. So with the abnormal proliferation and remodeling, a decline in ATP production occurs, an imbalance of macrophages, growth factors, um, and cytokines also contributes along with defective um, reactive oxygen species or ROS production. So one of the most popular treatments in the aesthetic market at the moment, which I'm sure you've all used in clinic before and you've heard about, and this is the most common modality that we can use to reduce um, wound healing complications in the elderly pre and post surgery. Along with increasing skin health in general, the LED light therapy treatment, otherwise referred to as low-level light therapy, um, is something that we can use in a safe, quick and effective manner. So what most people don't realise is that LED technology, just a little bit, little bit of history for you on where it came from, was actually discovered by NASA and used to help grow plants in space. So according to the article by NASA titled Lighting the Way for Quicker, Safer Healing, experiments showed that red LED wavelengths, um, at the time they didn't have the 830 nanometer back then, could boost the energy metabolism of cells to advance plant growth and photosynthesis. This then initiated the creation of a line of products that emit the same wavelength of light that plants use in photosynthesis. So I found this fact really interesting because most people don't even realize where it actually came from. And you can always like tell that fun fact to clients as well. Um, from 1995 to 1998, Focus was then using this technology to increase energy inside human cells. So from plants to humans. NASA was hoping to reduce bone and muscle mass in astronauts, which was common from the lack of gravity in space. Also, since wounds are slow to heal in microgravity environments, LED therapy was used to accelerate healing in space where a small wound could actually endanger the whole mission. So today, LED 830 nanometer is um, most commonly used for wound healing, and it's a game changer in terms of providing fast, effective treatment to enhance wound healing and preconditioning, which is like a new concept for high-risk patients before and after surgery. So with preconditioning, you're using the light for like a few weeks, a couple of times a week um, before the surgery to enhance their wound healing during and post-surgery. So do we really know how it works? The A30 nanometer wavelength penetrates deep into the tissue, deeper than the 633 nanometer, which is the red light, even down to the bone and muscle. 
So this is why it's so good for post-surgery where you're affecting the bone and muscle. It has the ability to trigger a cascade of cellular mechanisms, which ultimately can reduce pain, erythema, edema, and inflammation. Photons are absorbed by the cytochrome C oxidase, stimulating the mitochondria and ATP production, which is the energy source of the cells. Cytoplasmic changes alter the transmembrane potential. This activates the sodium and potassium transport pumps, flooding the irradiated area with immune cells, neutrophils, macrophages, growth factors, interleukins, inflammatory cytokines, ROS, and nitrous oxide. So as dermal clinicians, we can precondition the skin, preparing a month or two before surgery with weekly LEDs. So you could have um, the 633 or the 830 nanometer if your their bone and muscle is being affected with the surgery, and also combine that with topical actives and referring the patient onto a nutritionist to optimize their diet for healing, just as Maddie explained earlier. Thank you, Fabian. That was super insightful for our listeners. Jamila, let's check back in with you. Do you have anything to add in regards to what strategies that you may use once a client has been identified to have a risk factor and what other strategies are commonly used? Thanks, Maddie. Yeah, when a patient has been identified with risk factors, it's important to have patient education on the further risks that may be present. It's important to make sure these patients are well educated on what needs to be done post-care and how the skin will heal overall. A common strategy being used on post-surgical patients are your wound dressings. Many systematic reviews have stated that they have many benefits when it comes to using a post-surgery. This is also a health professional's preference. Due to its evidence-based, it is good technique, cost-effective, and easy to apply. In saying that there are a variety of wound dressing techniques and supplies available out there to manage acute wounds and chronic non-healing wounds. Wound dressing is one of the main aspects that promotes wound healing in post-surgical treatment, but the selection of material will differ for each particular wound in order to attain a fast healing process. So when selecting these dressings for wound, one must keep in mind the mechanism of injury, what stage the healing is, are there any risk of contamination, the nerve or the tissue damage, the amount of tissue loss, whilst also making sure that it will best fit the patient's comfort. The health professional chooses this method because of the following as well. It decreases the pain, it protects the wound from the surrounding environment, improves blood flow to the area while still maintaining appropriate tissue temperature, protects the area from bacterial infection, and of course, promotes the wound healing. There are many different types of dressing as mentioned. Some of them include your traditional wound dressing. This is like the bandage or the plaster and can be cotton wool which are dry and used for extra protection and cushioning. Then you have your modern wound dressings, which are mainly designed to keep the wound from dehydration. Such dressings include semi-permeable film, semi-permeable foam. There are also hydrogels and hydrochlorides. This is also widely used, which has two layers, inner chloridal and outer, outer layer, which is the water impermeable layer. A study by Divya also stated that using bioactive uh, wound dressing is superior compared to other dressings as they have a great function in wound healing due to its biocompatibility and non-toxic nature. 
great points there, Jamila. And it's important to note too, any of the strategies that we've discussed today can be applied for all scenarios of wound healing, um, whether it be intensive aesthetic treatments or a more minor wound that's caused by an accident and so on. So if you are unsure um, where to go and seek information, book in a consultation with a dermal therapist. And if we need to refer you, we will know where to do so if we can't offer you something specific. So it's just about that time to start wrapping up. Fabian, did you maybe want to give our listeners today a little take-home message for today's podcast? Thanks, Demi. Our role as dermal clinicians is really exciting as we have the opportunity to work not only in the aesthetic industry, but also alongside medical practitioners to improve clinical outcomes and ultimately the well-being of our patients. It is so important to always look for evidence-based modalities and practices that are proven to work and not get caught up in fluffy marketing. A multifaceted, holistic and adjunctive approach should always be taken to achieve the best outcome for wound healing. Considering risk factors and addressing those risks is key to preventing complications. Thanks for listening and we really hope today has given you a little bit more of an insight into how dermal clinicians can work and to identify potential risks and assist in improving pre and post-surgical outcomes.